We don't often think about the voiceover artists behind TV and radio commercials, cartoons, documentaries, drama and video games. But they're actual people, most of them. I'll be interviewing some of the very best to get an inside track on life behind the microphone. I'm Simon Lipson and this is Your Popping. I'm delighted to welcome today to Your Popping, hugely experienced, massively versatile and top, top voiceover artist, it's Tanya Rich. Hi, Tanya. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. And we, we were just saying before we started chatting uh, on the show that uh, we've not worked together, but we, we've both been around in this game for 30-odd years. Um, where did you start as a voiceover artist? I started at uh, the local radio station to me then where I was living in Stoke-on-Trent, which was Signal Radio. Mm-hmm. And I had been involved in music and everything. And uh, my mother said to me, why don't you see if you can do voiceover? Because I was supposed to go to drama school and I didn't. And so I said, OK. So I uh, rocked up to my uh, the reception and said, can I see the people who make the ads? And they said, oh, yeah. And then the guy who was the writer there knew me from the punk days when I was with the band. And he had interviewed me. So he said, oh, come on through. And that's how I got my start. I did a read. It was bang on time. They gave me another one, bang on time. They said, okay, we'll train you. And that's what happened. So that's how I got my break. So there was a kind of an instinctive understanding of what was required yes. to to deliver a voiceover. You mentioned then training. Was that formal training or kind of training on, on the job? Training on the job. Right. So I mean, there wasn't really any formal training. And also, I mean, of course, nowadays it's so different and you do need training nowadays because mm. those opportunities have sadly gone. Radio stations don't have time to invest in the individual now as they used to in the olden days. And uh, of course, there's no voice circuit, which of course I was part of. And so, uh, yeah, to, to learn on the job and to work in the flesh, so to speak, with other voice actors who are more experienced than me, mostly guys, and to watch and learn from them as well and, and talk, you know, that was the best training. I mean, it took me two years to do before I got a showreel. So. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, as you say, these days there are, I know you're a coach and we'll talk about yeah. that a bit later on. I, I met Nicola Redman on the show. Uh, I know that Darren Altman, who was on the show, went to Nancy Wolfson, as did Nicola. And so there is much more formal training available. It used to be the case, didn't it, that, you know, if you were in some kind of performing art, you would think, well, I've got a nice voice. (laughs) What is there to it? You just sit there and read a few words and you're done. But it's a lot more skillful than that. For somebody who's done no performing arts of any description, a lot of people genuinely think it's just talking and reading, which of course it isn't. But people who've been in other disciplines, they don't necessarily find it easy. They may find aspects of it easy. Uh, for example, if you have a singing background, you may find the breath control much easier than somebody that hasn't because you're already doing it, particularly classically trained singers. Mm. If you're a stage actor, you're used to perhaps being more expressive but you're also perhaps if you you know if you're an actor that does a lot of screen stuff, you're not used to being facially expressive because it doesn't work on camera and you're also perhaps not always just able to instantaneously just be what you need to be Mm. a lot of actors that I've worked with either as a voiceover or or coach often it's like well who am I what's my motivation (laughs) well well, your motivation is the money and uh you know (laughs) just get on with it really (laughs) so yeah it doesn't always help but it can help 
I've had a look at your website, which is great. You've got a lovely Thank website, tanyarich.co.uk, and loads of stuff on there, some great demos and commercials and things that you've done. You mentioned that you, and you've just mentioned it here, that you started as a musician and you still do jingles. Is that right? I do. Yes. Uh, of course, it's quite different because it's there's nothing nicer than going into a studio with two or three other singers and we all do the harmonies and we all vibe off each other. And of course, jingle singing is such a skill. People don't realize, you know, I get a lot of singers contacting me saying oh, I wanted to jingle. So they don't realize that we don't have a middle eight to lead up to the big chorus. You are the chorus straight away and your diction has to be perfect. And you have to sound a certain way and, and the harmonies have to have the same vowel sounds and end notes and all this stuff. Um, so, yes, I used to do some of that because my mother was a jingle singer as well. And my family professional musicians and one of the things she did was singing. And so I've always had a great ear. And I think having, well, a great pair of ears, I suppose, really, is always an advantage <laughs> <laughs> to being a voice actor. I agree totally with that. As you know, I've done a, a previous podcast series called Making an Impression, where I spoke to all of the top impressionists in the country and some brilliant American and Irish impressionists. One of the most common threads, and perhaps the common thread, was that they were all musical, one way or another. It wasn't, you know, not necessarily people who could play you a, a, a you know, a concerto, but everybody in that group can can sing. I can sing. I, in fact, I was really a singer uh, going back a hundred years when I was 18 and, you know, I was in a band. And I think that musical ear is quite important in lots of performing spheres, but I was going to ask you about how it helps you in relation to accents, because again, going onto your website, you've got a whole range of accents and you're, you're naturally a Brummy. Well, no, you see, this is the thing. I am from the Midlands. Right. I'm from the black country, okay? But my mother has had been brought up by her mother, who was very aspirational. And so she only had a mild accent herself. And she insisted that my mother and her sister went to elocution and they spoke very well. So my mother is posher than the queen. Um, <laughs> but so she, <laughs> she was determined that I wasn't going to have that accent. But of course, having a good musical ear, I could hear it. And I can drop into accents that the drop of a vowel, really. <laughs> um, and I hear it very easily. I haven't done an awful lot of digging down into how I do things because, as, I, as I've said many times on my various pods, I've never really analysed things too hard. I've just kind of you know, got an ear for it and can do it. But I think the more I think about it, the more I realise that music is the thing that informs my ability to do an accent because all well, accents are tunes, in, in effect. Yep. And all impressions are effectively tunes, you're, and you're mimicking those. And this is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about because you're <laughs> of a certain you're of a certain age, yeah. as am I, and I'm obviously <laughs> much older than you. But that, but that doesn't affect your ability to tackle voices across the full range of you know from from little screeching infants right through to <laughs> matronly old ladies. And again, I think, is that a, a musical thing for you or is it is that a different skill you're employing? Oh, that's, well, if, I think let's address the musicality side of it first. I think if you are musical, it, it helps you in all aspects of voice work, regardless of whether it's accent or straight voice, because there is music in the copy. There is a rhythm. There are lifts and leans, light and shade, the subtleties that go into voiceover that people don't even realise what we're doing that make it good, as opposed to somebody that's not doing that, which makes it not good. So for accents and for, uh, and things like that, of course, hearing the vowel sounds. I worked with somebody today who spoke very nicely RP, and I said, "Hmm, have you ever been? Have you ever lived in Leicestershire or in, in the East Midlands?" And she just went, 
well, actually, yes. And my all my boyfriends have been from there. I said, yeah, I can hear it. You've got an I sound and it's East Midlands. And she said, you just said East. You didn't even say West. I said, no, because I'm from the West Midlands and it's a completely different sound. So, it, you know, accents are all in the vowel sounds. I can, I've, I've upset many a lady at a dinner party when they've been browning the cows. And I've said, oh, what, what part of Liverpool are you from? Um, <laughs> which has really upset people. I'm yeah. Genuinely, people got very arsy with me. Um, but, um, but the other thing with regarding to the, the vocal delivery range, I always say, and it's, uh, this really is something I feel very passionate about, that it's about your VA, your vocal age, not your real age. It should not matter what, mm. you could be 110. If you can still sound at a certain age genuinely, then you should be working. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it does bug me when I think that there's perhaps certain places I think, oh, they've been around for ages. They are only going to be able to deliver in one old fashioned style of voice and they're going to sound old really drives me insane, that attitude, mm. and I know it exists. I was always sold by my agent as, you know, versatile, can do anything, <laughs> can do anything. Whereas I guess there's this phenomenon right now of the celebrity voice. Uh, so somebody wants James Corden, somebody wants, oh, I don't know, Mark Strong, and you don't often hear them, at least I'm not aware of hearing them, doing much else than themselves because they don't need to. No. Whereas I guess people like us are more less well-known in, in the great scheme of things. We'll go in and kind of tackle anything. And that, that gives you, I, I suppose, versatility can be a, a strength and a weakness, can't it? Because, you know, I, I'd like people just to employ me because I speak like this. <laughs> but sadly, <laughs> they usually call me in to say, can you sound a bit like, oh, you know, Chris Evans? Moving on, and voiceover work is, it's esoteric, isn't it? And people, you know, as we said earlier, they tend to think of it as a, just you, you turn up and read some stuff and go home and get magnificently well paid for it. But sometimes you'll go into a session and it can be, quite daunting quite terrifying and i know you've had some sessions where you've come out shaking i mean i don't if you want to share some of those experiences yeah i'd love to um I'd be more than happy to when i was a young vo mm. i had spent a couple of years very nicely in the security of signal being this this voiceover that worked with every other voice and learned every inflection going and was always the second voice and then i, I worked my way up and doing i was trusted with whole reads and everything else so by the time i got my reel together i thought well i, I should start going on the road now and i think a voiceover called peter twist actually said the other day you were one of the first female voices to do that and and it was great Anyway, I, I worked at several stations, and when you did that, say, I don't know, you got a session at, as it was there, Metro Radio Newcastle, you'd go up there on the Monday, and then you'd work your way down the country. So you'd phone other stations and say, hey, you know, I'm just down the road from you, can you got any work? And sometimes you'd be already pre-booked, but sometimes you'd pick up a few extra scripts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one station I really wanted to work at was Radio City in Liverpool. Yeah. Why? Well, because one, they paid a higher rate than the other station. <laughs> as, good, as good a reason <laughs> as any. Yes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And also because I... I, I don't know. I've got, I've, somebody wrote a book about feel the fear and do it anyway. Well, I could have written that book. And the other one is, you know, the subtle art of not giving. Well, I could have also written that one, especially <laughs> nowadays. Um, yeah. But when I was younger, I'd heard about this frightening ogre of um, a head of production called Ed Harwood, breast in peace, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, I said to one of the male VOs, I really want to work at Radio City. Oh, you'll never get in there. We see being a feisty little punk that I am like well that was the red rag straight away really won't I why is that then well he doesn't like female voices in fact he's made xx and xx cry second gauntlet thrown 
nobody's going to make me cry. So I was determined to get in there. So yeah. I phoned him and phoned him. Finally, he accepted my call and said, I said, look, you know, I'm going to be wherever I was and I'd like to come and do this and audition for you. Very happy to come in. Mm, yeah, well, okay. I said, look, you know, just give me a try. Why wouldn't you just give me a chance? What are you frightened of? And that was it. And he said, well, what? Okay, then. He said, but I'll, and I came in and I, he looked me up and down. He was probably twice my size in height. And he said, if you're any good, I'll pay you. And if you're shit, you'll never work for me again. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I go into the booth and it's a massive studio with just a small booth. And there's two producers there. And he stands at the back, arms folded, very grim expression. And they gave me, oh my God, did they put me through my paces? Everything from a scouser rapper to, and I still remember that because it was such a great ad actually, to <laughs> Betty Boo, to oh, everything. And he stood there. And I remember the first, when the mic went live, I was so inside, I was so nervous and kind yeah. of a bit fearful. I could hear my own heart. <laughs> and then I saw the guys in the desk look at me and go like, we can, like, we can hear you. And they were smiling. I thought, oh, no. Oh, anyway, dear. did the session, went out, went to go. And I thought, oh, I guess. So I just went, well, what do you think then? Even though I was inside, I was thinking, oh, then, well, then, what did you think? And he went, you got your diary with you. Yeah, get it out, you're booked. And that was it. And we became great mates. And that was great training. Fantastic. Yeah. So that's, you know. <laughs> you do get that. I mean, I think on the whole, it's a very civilized profession and you, you go in, you're the voice, you're the talent, as they like to call you. And so they look after you, bring you cups of tea and chocolate and lunches, whatever you want. You know, they pander to you a bit. Just occasionally you'll get things going on you know, amongst the, the client, the creative outside your booth, and you think, shit, they, they hate me, <laughs> or something's gone horribly wrong here. Is your tendency to do as you're told, just keep delivering whatever they ask for, or is there a point at which you'll think, look, fuck this, <laughs> I can't <laughs> yeah, do that word. <laughs> <laughs> but would you, would you rail against it? Would you become a prima donna about it? Or do you see yourself as, I'm here, I'm a hired voice? No, I'm not, I'm not famous enough. Uh, if I was a famous person, I could rail against it. I could do a William Shatner or Orson Welles or whatever. Mm. I could do that. But I'm me and they don't care. So, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the brilliant film by Jonathan Kidd. Ah, I have. It's well, brilliant. Well, that yeah. says it all. Yeah. You know, they turn the talk back off. You see them all talking. You also see, see people not listening on their phones. Well, they became on their phones as it went on in time with mobile phones and everything. Um, and you think, you know, and you, you can feel your palms sweating a bit. I mean, yeah. and sometimes it's almost as well, even though they're creative agencies, you know, you work with an agency, 14 people in the control room and you'd think, okay. And then I remember one job I did for a very big London agency and they wanted me to um, transpose the theme to the stripper. Um, they didn't tell me what the job was ahead of time, by the way. So, you know, the stripper. Yeah. Well, can you just transpose a few notes? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm a musician. Yes. And uh, we want you to sing. It's for a, it's for a bath gel. And we want you to pretend you're in the shower and you're just humming it under your breath. Can you do that? Yeah, sure. So I do that and they go, mm, what matter? Yeah. Now could you do it as if somebody's peeping through the window? Now could you do it as if you've just done this? And wow. after a while I thought, oh, here. And it's and it's almost like they think we've booked her for an hour. My goodness, she's going to work here for an hour. <laughs> and I had loads of those kind of things. And other times you think you're giving me this direction. I know I've already done that, but no. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that again. And you just have to 
I mean, you can flick the V's at them under the desk, you know, or you can be like <laughs> drilling like holes in your in your palms with your nails. But I mean, I've worked with some very tough directors yeah. and you just had to suck it up. Hmm. You can't be a sensitive little soul in this business. You really can't. I've sometimes had the feeling that, as you say, they've got you for an hour and they know you, you know, in my case, well, I can do loads of impressions and voices and accents and they don't really know what they want. You know, why not get him to do it in Welsh yeah. and do it in Scottish and then see if he can do it in a alto and then in a bass and, you know, whatever. From my point of view, I actually usually regard that as fun. But there is that moment, isn't there, when the talk back goes off. So you, you've just delivered something. You probably think it's, you know, that's pretty good. I'm happy with that. And then it goes silent in your headphones. Uh, is there a moment then when you're thinking they hate what I just did or or they're talking about me they want to get shot of me and bring somebody else in <laughs> do you, do you ever get no that? I have to say isn't that dreadful my ego must be sufficient I've never thought that <laughs> <laughs> the naughtiest thing I have ever done is when a clearly you know, a, a person with no ability whatsoever has told me how to deliver something and I have copied them back yeah and then, of course, and I've just done it with a big smile and just sat there looking at them with my most Mona Lisa-like face and uh, think, there you go. That's what you wanted. Well, now you've got it. That's one of the other great things that happens from time to time when the creative will say, could you do it like this? Um, and they've got a voice up here somewhere. And <laughs> down here somewhere. And you think, well, if I do it like you, you're going to think I'm taking the piss. Yeah, yes, yes. So the, you, there's a fine line sometimes, there isn't is. there? Where you, you just have to be a little bit careful. But in the end, and I think this is a common experience of everyone, certainly I've interviewed so far on uh, your popping, that we do as we're told. We do as we're asked. We do. With uh, smile and willingness I've already described in a previous episode how I lost it once. I lost it once with a particular creative. But apart from that, in 30 years, no? No, I've, I've, I've always been. I mean, the, one of the worst things for me that ever happens is when they send me an audio guide track or they send me the voice that they used previously and for whatever reason they don't want to use that voice now. And they go, can you sound like this? Yeah. Now, if I hear the voice and I think, yeah, she's a good voice, okay. If I really quite a poor voice or perhaps somebody amateur in their lavatory recording it, I will actually write back and say, or, you know, say, is that you actually want me to imitate them? Because I can, I can do that delivery. But tell you what, can I do it the way I would do it instinctively and see what you think? And that often gets me, they go, oh, yeah, actually, you know, but it is difficult. You know, there was a very famous load of commercials for a big supermarket many years ago when they had a very well-known voice actress mm. and or an actress and uh, I can imitate her. And uh, she, they, her agency wanted more money and they didn't want to pay it. And so I have to say they got me in to do it and nobody knew it wasn't yeah. her. But of course, I got paid like a groat compared to what she got paid which is you're always the bridesmaid in this game really i know i once did one for julian clary uh, oh, i can't even remember how i did it something oh i thank you and it was for some insurance company and they eventually used him now i won't quote figures here but what he was paid was astronomical yeah and it was a fifth of what they'd offered Graham Norton, who turned it down. How did you find that out? Oh, uh, well, I, I, <laughs> I have my ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I once had to go and do David Mitchell. And I said, who's, who's doing Webb? And they said, uh, Webb. 
No. <laughs> so sitting in a studio being, you know, David Mitchell with the real web was, that was pretty daunting. And Anne Reed was in there for some reason. I can't oh, really? remember. I think it was for IBM. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Have you, have you ever found yourself in a booth, whether it's a voiceover or doing some radio work or whatever, and you've completely lost it, you know, corp- corpsed to the point where you, <laughs> you can't yeah. carry on? No, I never have. I'm a professional <laughs> liar. <laughs> yes, many, many times. And especially when I used to go, you know, we used to be working with other voices. There are certain VOs I knew. I would say, who am I working with? And if they said Kevin Brighting, no makeup. Because I knew I would look like Alice Cooper within seconds. Because he's the funniest man to work with. We'd be crying. And then if we did any ad, we I never forget, we had this ad to do. And I... I Bear in mind, I'm not some kind of rain child that I can remember adverts that I've done over many years. I only remember the interesting ones or the horrendous ones. And uh, we had this one and the strap line was, and I'm going to laugh now, say, and it probably won't be funny. People go, what's wrong with a fool? And it was, it's, it's always better second time around in the warehouse. Now, I don't know why that was funny, but it just got us every time. And, and it was ridiculous. And it was based around Goldilocks and the three beds. And I was there, you know, even Goldilocks, you know. And uh, oh, it's always better putting time around in the warehouse. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> we made up the filthiest ad about it. Yeah. I mean, we made this spoof. This spoof is still doing the rounds, yeah. and uh, which was disgusting. And that was Kevin and I. We couldn't work. I mean, we were just in pieces together. And, you know, so, yes, and, and saying certain things. Like I did something... Uh, an ad recently or not so long ago for and it said brogans in the britox and as soon as i said we've got brogans in the britox all i could think of was bums and then i started laughing and then oh you know so there are moments yes and i've got i have got a few outtakes but yeah and quite often those words seemingly on the face of it innocent for some reason they just you sort of touch a nerve and, the, and away you go and you can't get past that. It's very, and you can hear yourself because the mic will, it's like a TV camera. It will not be your friend if you if you go in on a pickup and you're still laughing, you can hear it in your voice. Yeah. A funeral ad I remember doing once said, dad was always so thoughtful, but even though he only wanted a simple cremation and my mind went, we just threw him over the fence. And that was it then. <laughs> I just couldn't get, and I mean, that took me, you know, but... <laughs> I know, I know, I'm, I'm a dreadful person, I realise this. <laughs> that was naughty. Um, what about um, <laughs> words that you typically stumble on? Uh, don't you? Uh, you maybe, maybe you don't. No, no, I, have, I do have my bête noire. Uh, it's remuneration. The M and the N, isn't it? The M and the yes, N. Yes, I want to say remuneration. Yeah. And, uh, and not only did I have to say that many times, I had to say variable remuneration, Ooh, which was horrible. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of voices find digital difficult. I personally yeah. don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I know that when we had the millennium, some voices found it hard because they were saying millennium. Millennium, yeah. Yeah. And so there are those things. Uh, and, it, and also innocent words on their own. For example, traditional traditional i can yeah. say that all day you put it in a sentence in an overwritten commercial for a traditional for a traditional and you went you know it's ridiculous there's also that business isn't there where you you stumble over a word you perhaps you shouldn't be stumbling over it like, like digital is tough for me but okay. i can do it i can say it now cleanly traditional <laughs> i can say it now cleanly but you suddenly <laughs> <laughs> but you know you stumble over it in the session and that that suddenly it becomes a kind of a the, the hump you can't get over have you ever done that where you know you've kind of 
stumble on this word, this bloody word, and you finally get it right, and then you bugger up everything else after it. Uh, yes, I have, or I've got it right, and then I've thought, you know, if you look in a TV camera and you have any doubt, the flicker mm. in your eyes gives you away and it ruins the takes. Well, yeah. it's exactly yeah. the same on the mic, isn't it? So I've got it right, and then you can just hear that that's it have I got it all that all that, that slight <laughs> thing and you know that's annoying and then you go again and again and again until you do get it right yeah it's amazing how you the the emotion in your voice is, is, is such a giveaway isn't it you know when you're, <laughs> I, it, <laughs> I had to do a word it was sesquicentennial right which is a 70 you. year yeah <laughs> 70 year that's taken me four years to get right um <laughs> wonderful it, darling <laughs> It's a 70-year anniversary of something, and it was for a, a you know a car manufacturer that uh, it was celebrating its sesquicentennial, as as you do. Yeah, I'll <laughs> it up there. Um, <laughs> and I was doing it with some a Canadian agents in uh, Ottawa or wherever the hell they were, and they were just laughing their heads off. I said, "The sesquicentennial? Oh shit, shit! There's quiskies. Can we just say 70-year anniversary?" Is that- <laughs> <laughs> I got there in the end, but again, it was that moment. Having got it the first time, I thought, yeah, yeah. got it, ended up. I know. And then you, like, you, you're so mad at yourself. And when there's creatives there as well, that does put on the pressure, doesn't it? And the more yeah. pressure you start to feel, the more you're beating up. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> FML. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about, I know you sent me a, a note about accidentally going live (laughs) on a radio show. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, one of my first mentors after I left Stoke-on-Trent to live in uh, the Fens in in, uh, Cambridgeshire, I uh, was taken under the wing of the wonderful David Allen at Harrowwood Radio. And uh, I used to be in there every couple of days, every couple of days, it would seem. And he was fab, very camp. He's known as Camp David. He was great, very (laughs) brilliant writer, very entertaining. And I was in there with a male voice. Uh, I'll, I'll call him Sean. <laughs> uh, he has a very good voice, very good voiceover. And uh, we were doing an ad for some, I can't remember what it was. Okay, I don't know. But anyway, in this ad, it had the, I think it's a cricketer. Sorry, I'm not very good at sport. Bruce Grobbler, is it cricket, football? Bruce Grobbler is a, a footballer, a goalkeeper oh, for, for Liverpool. Yeah. Well, okay. You were close. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I was. But when I actually said his name, I didn't read it properly because I'd never heard of him and I said Bruce Gobbler which of course made David start laughing and Sean started and then we had and then I went I'm I'm so sorry and David's like oh my god I can't just and I said well I've never bloody heard of him who is he and Sean said what's something else I can't remember what he said but it was something else and then all of a sudden the phone started ringing the control room like ringing ringing David's like I'm in a session put it down no I'm in a session and then answer the bloody phone you've just gone live and the switchboard is bloody with people complaining because we were being really rude about, you know, oh, he's South African, so Bradford, is it? And, oh, you know, it was just ridiculous. Anyway, we went, somebody had pulled the wrong plug out in the racks room and we had gone live with our, you know, booth chatter. That's slightly embarrassing. I thought, well, I was was worried that they'd blame us because they always blame the voice. You know, oh, oh, she said she didn't feel very well this morning. Not that you ever say that. Of course, you're always fine, fine, fine. But... She wasn't very well. That's why she couldn't say that word, you know, and then mm-hmm. we never use her again, just like they do in the Jonathan Kidd film, in fact, yes, um, and, which is so true. And, you know, I mean, I was just worried they'd never use me again, that somehow Sean and I would get the blame, but we didn't. You mentioned a number of other voice artists that 
you've worked with along the way. Have you ever worked with anybody really famous? Yeah, quite a lot of people, uh, Mm -hmm. really, I suppose. Some people, I don't know if they're actually still alive, but the lovely, was it Simon Cadell that was in Heidi High? Oh, yeah, I think think he he did pass away, yeah. Yeah, he was was really lovely. Mm -hmm. And I worked with the very lovely James Bolam. But that was quite funny because we were told before the session, I worked with him and one of the ladies from the Archers cast, and I can't remember her name, sorry. And uh, we were told before the session, now, whatever you do, you must not mention the likely lads. If he doesn't like talking about the likely lads, you must never mention it. So, of course, yeah. you know, what do you do? You walk in there, it's James Bowen, and he's on the telly all the time when I was a child. So we're standing there, we're doing this kind of, these commercials. And he's looking at us and everything, and he was getting a bit huffy and everything. And then he started talking about, did you ever watch the likely lads? And all. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, do you like it? Yeah. We love the theme tune and all that, but we were told not to, and that was really bizarre. So he was, and quite a lot of other people, a lot of uh, musicians as well, but now I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's loads of people saying, oh, why didn't you say that? John Cooper Clark. I've had a lot of people use my studio as well that I've worked with. Yeah. So uh, John Cooper Clark's been here, one of my heroes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lots, just lots of people over the years, particularly Angel Sound, I used to go to a lot. Oh, yeah, I've worked there a lot. It's, uh, it's a lovely it's studio. A I was going to talk about the guy Angel Sound, whose name I cannot remember now. Nick. Angel. Is it Nick? That's right. And uh, uh, why couldn't I? <laughs> Nick, somebody. Oh, Nick Angel, that's him. Um, but he he's a, often directs a whole session. And yeah. I, I know in my early days going in with Nick that I said, oh, shit, not him again, because he just, he knows everything about voices and voiceovers. And he almost feel like you're being over-directed, but actually... He really got it. And after about three or four sessions with him, I thought, you know, I could learn some stuff here. Yeah. And subsequently, I thought, I'm looking forward to this now because mm, I might yeah. actually. I remember doing, they wanted to, there were two of us in the booth there and they were, it was a tennis match and they wanted the other, the other guy and, 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 and me to play tennis. And we were doing those, those kind of sounds. And then he said, no, look, he came in. He said, look, stand up, hold pretend tennis racket and play tennis. And yeah. we, were, we were playing air tennis at each other and, and it did improve it. Oh, yeah, it would do. I, I wanted to quickly ask you, this may not, this, I may not keep this in the edit. Oh. <laughs> I know Andrew Lincoln came to your studio. Yes. And the reason I mention Andrew Lincoln is because of his performance in Love Actually. Okay, yes. Which is the most fantastically mannered weird <laughs> performance I've ever seen because he's a really good actor. Yeah. But he does something in that, you know, holding his sleeves and everything seemed overthought. And my daughter and I, my eldest daughter and I, yeah, we'll watch Love Actually every year. And just for him, so that we can <laughs> take the piss out oh, of that yeah. whole performance that he does, you know, with the hands and the thing. But I'm, I'm guessing he's a really nice bloke. <laughs> Sure yeah, well, first of all, I, if he's as dyspractic as I am, props are my enemy. Right. You know, one of the reasons, that, you know, that, and I reckon he was holding his sleeves and doing that because he was frightened that things were going to fall. I bet they had a thousand times and, and that's why he was doing that. Yeah, he was lovely, but it was quite funny. He turned up here to do some Renault commercials, TV yeah. and, and radio. And he walked in and I said, oh, hello, you know, blah, blah, blah. And because uh, I remember him in Teachers. I'm not, I don't watch yes. The Walking Dead because I like vampires, not zombies. And um, <laughs> and basically he said, oh, yeah, but I've got my voice. I'm so, I said, right, are you allergic to capsicum? He went, no. I said, right, 
plug on some of this. And I opened a fresh bottle of Sanderson's throat specific for him. And he went, seriously, I said, just gargle it. Don't spit it out. Just gargle and swallow. You'll be fine. Trust me. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, all right, I trust you. So we did it. He was like, I don't, have you ever tried Sanderson's for yourself? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, my God. He was literally like it, like in a Wiley Co- Coyote thing. You know, the steam yeah. was coming out of his ears. <laughs> and he just went like that. And he went, Renault. He went, oh, my God, that stuff is amazing. If you've got any more, I'll take some back to LA with me. And I said, yes, I have got some more. And it's eight pounds a bottle. So there you go. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he and he was really lovely. And he was so sweet because... He was doodling and things, and I knew I had a somebody I knew was a big fan. And I said, "Would you?" I always ask people, "Would you photograph with me?" Like Peter Bold and Jason Donovan, I've had in it, loads of people. And I said, "They always do photos, and they're great fun. They're always up for it." And I said, he said "Yeah." And I said, "And I don't suppose I've got friends, a massive fan." And he did like, "Yeah, anybody else?" And he did little drawings on. He was adorable. Yeah, he was lovely for no reason at all. I think that's the impression I get of him. Yeah, I feel bad for taking the, the piss out of that performance in Love Actually. Really Sometimes, though, you you must have been directed to do things as a VO that mm. you have thought, I, I really don't like this. I don't want this on a showreel. In fact, I don't want anyone to know it's me because you've been made to do it a certain way. Maybe of that's course. what happened to poor old Andrew. Of course. And you know, I like and to call him. <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite often, you know, you, you do a voice that you think I'm not that proud of that to be honest with you um i mean i I did a a documentary and it was talking like this and sort of sub a sub class and at the end of it you know it's eight hours worth of documentary and i thought i'm just doing as i was bid but not it's not how i would have delivered a single line there that is the difficult when you're a bit ashamed of it or when you hear something and they've done it and they've overcut it so that they've literally really taken every breath even though i you know i'm sure like me you can breathe through your backside um yes. but you know they've taken it out and uh yeah and you think oh no and then you have to you you almost feel like if any voiceovers listening you know me you know that's not what i would do please don't judge me we've all done weird gigs the more i've been interviewing voiceovers on you're popping the more i realize i had a load of weird gigs and and they've been telling me some lovely stories of you know, turning up at a studio and thinking, what am I, you know, either what am I about to do? What have I just done? Are there, are there any that really stick in the mind? I used to do dubbing in the olden days before there was this thing that they use this like, you know, follow the bouncing ball, whatever it's called. In the olden days when you had to really be terrified, you had a script, you had a screen, you had a green flashing light, ah, and you had to act. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did a lot of that, but I did get booked to do a job, which I didn't know what it was. My agent at the time got some dubbing work. Can you sound a bit Scandinavian? Yeah. Okay then. Uh, so in you go, and it's a porn film. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> uh, were you proud of that one afterwards? Or, you know, it's, uh... it me was, but I'm not telling you which part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't know anyway. I've never watched a porn film in my life. Well, no, you one can only imagine, and that's <laughs> the best place for it, actually. Um, but yes, I had to say a lot of yeah, ah, oh yeah. <laughs> and a lot of bouncing about which was quite funny because you know voiceover we're like salsa dancers in reverse it's all yeah. from the waist upwards we're moving and downwards but this time I had to really <laughs> <laughs> I, I should just fabulous. say I, I, I'm watching Tanya here and she's bouncing in her seat there and, and I won't go any further than that I'll leave the listeners to imagine oh I can tell you one that's less filthy but you know it's, it's just I was booked by a well-known toffee brand they wanted me to sound a bit like Ruby Wax. And I said, well, you know, mm, 
I can do a bit, but I wouldn't really say it's one of my, I could do it if you were going to pay me a lot of money to learn it. But, yeah. you know, why don't I kind of give you a kind of mishmash? So they said, but so you've got to sound like you're chewing toffee the whole way through. Wow. And I thought, well, I'm not obviously going to chew toffee. So I'm, <laughs> I just got a load of paper and made little pellets and stuck it in my mouth. And then I managed to, so I could have the diction, but I still have the toffee sound. And I literally had to keep spitting them out. And when I looked at this, like my whole desk was just covered in these sodden grey lumps. It was quite revolting, but they were very happy with the end result. So that's an interesting technique, I must say. Oh yes. When you're <laughs> when you're in the booth, do you find yourself having to uh, invent a technique? Because I I know that I've had situations where not not so much a technique, but faking something. So in my case, uh, I like to do. You know, I, I I love to do these sort of things, getting close to the mic and do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But some days I just can't find that. I can't seem to access that uh, range, whatever for whatever reason. Uh, Nick Redman did give me some exercises to do, which actually I've, I have tried and they work Not very bad. scarily. Yeah, fantastic. Mostly about relaxing and stretching out and relaxing, and then suddenly you find it, oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, but are there techniques you employ? Are there things that you do you think, I'm not quite, I just can't quite feel that voice or that tone or that pitch today. Here's a way of faking it. To be honest, and I, I hope this doesn't come over anything, no. Okay. <laughs> um, but what I have learned is I know how much breath to keep in, in my tank, for certain types of read, which mm-hmm. is how I can power through things. So it's overwritten, it's fast, it's smiley, it's upbeat, it's whatever. I can still do that by never letting go of my breath. So my breath will be always suspended somewhere about, if I had a six pack, it would probably be between about number one and two of the yeah. pack. <laughs> so, um, and I've learned that technique myself. Um, but no, I'm very lucky. Um, I literally get in, in the studio, put the mic on and I just do it. And and you said about like my range of voices from very young to older. It's just I just I just instinctively know. And people sometimes I had a client, a new client recently on listening in on the line, and I started the VO and she I heard the talkback come on and she went, Is that you? Yeah. It sounds different. I went, well, you wanted me to sound like a naughty elf, didn't you? You know, it was just like but I've had that a lot, even with straight VO stuff, but I never warm up. I warm up before singing, but I never warm up before voicing. I, I just, my, I'm always relaxed, you see, because I love it so much. What's your process then? So you talked about doing the, you know, it's like a little girl voice. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing I do, I'm very into bringing physicality to voicing. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be voicing like, you know, a stone. That's not how it works. Because we have to do a lot more behind the mic than people realise, to bring it alive so people can see you with their ears. Okay. So if I'm doing a little girl's voice, I'm sitting down at the moment on my chair. The first thing I do is I'll take my feet off the floor because little girls don't touch the floor, do they? And they swing their legs. And then I'll get my hands and I'll probably put them into little fists, which I'd normally never do for a VO because I use my hands a lot as steerage. But I'll put them like that, particularly if the little girl's excited. So she might be like this. And then I'm going to make my smile instead of it just going out, I'm going to push it up. And then I'm going to just think upwards into my head that I can go, I'm really enjoying this, Simon. It's so much fun to do with you. Thank you so much for having me. You're actually getting into character, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. You're kind of embracing the physicality in order to inform the character and the voice. And I think that's a really yeah. interesting technique. So uh, what would be, let's let's take this on the, the other side. You're, again, I love the accents you do. 
Uh, <laughs> and you do a fantastic Newcastle accent on your <laughs> demo reel. Newcastle, I'm a good, I'm really good at accents, but I thought, I, I always, I start going like that, mate, and then I start talking in Welsh, I can't help it for some reason. How do you find an accent and that's a really good question. Stay in the accent. Yeah, that's one of the things that's hard because I get people all the time telling me they can—they're the man of a thousand voices and they can do like three words. <laughs> then they go whatever. Well, I, I used to call myself the man of a thousand voices, all of them the same. <laughs> I um yeah I uh, see I I cannot do a Welsh accent. Right. If I meet somebody Welsh, I can hear their Welsh and I could copy them back. But yeah. I cannot keep that. Well, I call them kickoff phrases. I cannot keep keep the kickoff phrase in my mind. So if I'm doing, I mean, and, and in people from Geordie land, I'm going to like put a big brush over Sunderland and Newcastle because I know they're completely different accents. <laughs> and I can yeah. tell they're different when I hear them. But I just, uh, let me think, like, well, I just think like that, you know. And uh, <laughs> I just think, I don't know. It's just, and, and I know there was a brilliant thing recently. They got some American actor, I think it was Cheryl Cole, said, Say um aluma, um aluma. <laughs> You've got to say that in a Geordie accent, haven't you? Uh, yes. <laughs> and there are yeah. some great ones. I can't remember all of them now. My daughter says them all the time. So you know, it's just like thinking like that. I'm thinking where the glottal stop is. And <laughs> well, it's it's great. And you you mentioned a kickoff phrase. Now that's yeah. interesting because that's something that I think most impressionists use. So, you know, maybe to get into, oh, I don't know, Ronnie Corbett, the first thing I'm going to do is, <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. And once I've done that, everything else can flow from that. I've been working on Jeff Goldblum recently. And I'm no, I haven't got it yet, but, ah, yeah, right, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you know, start doing the yes, yes, yes thing. And from yeah. yes, 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 oh, ah, yes, yes, yes. But, ah, mm. And then you start to hear some of the rhythms. And so do you have a kind of a, a kickoff phrase for most accents yes and most and a lot of vo because if sometimes if a, if a straight vo script is starts in a strange way you see it's you know it's like this people say things like you've got to connect to the copy yeah true mm. so that's just half the story you've not only got to connect to the copy and think about you know who you're speaking to but you've also got to think about their reaction to what you are saying yep and so sometimes before you go into something, you need to think of, you, you might say some, say, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example now. Um, today was one of the hardest days of my life. Let's say the script started like that. And you might go, I don't know about you, Joan, but today was the hardest day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I do that, but I would never say it out loud because obviously I'm so used to working with directors. I think I'd gone balmy. Apparently in America, they're very used, they like you to do it out loud, but for me, I do it in my mind. Yeah. Um, and so it's exactly the same with accents. And I can hear myself even like, because if I do black country and Birmingham, I could obviously, I know the difference. One of the hardest things is to try and make it sound more interesting than it is. People's agencies say, could you smile a bit more? I am smiling. It's just the accent here now. It always sounds the same if your granny's died or you've won the premium bond. <laughs> You know, and so, and yeah. they'll say, we want a Wolverhampton accent. I doubt, I think you do, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and I just can, but that I can do, but most of them I do, yeah, I have complete kickoff phrases. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, I mean, it's a great tip, actually, for, again, for people coming into the game. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I would always do Liverpool, you know, and so once I've got the M-M going, yeah. I can, I'm away. See, mine's all right. Oh, all right, yeah, that's the posh one, isn't it, Kat? Yeah, I don't know, it's a bit more Wirral. 
Bit more with the left, right? Whereas I chalked like that, you know, like yeah, uh, um, like a bit of a lad, you know, on the cop. Um, and you'll have a kid, well, the chicken, we often do this at home. What we haven't fit in this night? Like, yeah, I'm going to have some chicken. My mother used to speak to me in different accents every single day and sing to me in the style of opera, which helped my ears as well, I think. Of course, yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> She's a right diva, my mother. <laughs> We're not joking too much about it. I, th- I think that's probably why you're good at what you do and yeah. you know you have that kind of certain flamboyance and confidence about how you deliver voices and accents. And, you know, I think... I didn't come from that background at all, so hence I'm. You've very done really shy. well, then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Talking about doing well, uh, you're working every day. Yes. How do you go about, without giving too many secrets away, generating work, maintaining clients? You know, what's the what's the? Yeah, I know it's a um, very big question to answer in three minutes, but well, I'll try and be very quick then. Uh, hey, okay. So I've kept most of my clients. Uh, for over 25 years and I've even auditioned for the same client in a different style of voice and got my own job back I always go the extra mile for clients uh, you know if they they've asked me just for a couple of takes I'll probably give them three if unless it's something huge of course you know because I have this attitude nothing's too much trouble of course yes yes so that's that's really good how I get work well of course there is a social media thing one has to do now I'm lucky that I have the most wonderful PA and uh, and all round great girl Alicia who looks after me without whom I would just be crumbled in a in a wet heap on the floor crying. So she does a lot of that and organises a lot of my life for me. A lot of my work comes from referrals. It comes from I think when they see my website and you know you get a website like that and it, you're not going to be a beginner you know yeah. unless you've got a lot of money and a lot of flannel. But yeah, I just I get work all the time from just referrals and new clients. And once I've got a client, I tend to keep them. Right. You know, and I always custom audition. If I get a new client inquiry, I'll say, I tell you what, you know, it doesn't matter how many reels I send you, but give me a bit of the script. Let me do it in the style I think you're looking for. And 95% of the time I'll book that job. Yeah, yeah. And what about moving sort of just into the studio again from, from there? Do you ever offer creative input so by which i mean Mm. look can we go with it instead of it is or that line doesn't work um because of course you're you're kind of slightly undermining the creative who's you know carefully crafted this uh this phrase or is it again very much whatever's on the paper on the bit of paper in front of me or on the screen i'll read it well sometimes it depends i i learned a very hard lesson once when isdm was first invented and of course we didn't know who was in the studio there was a dreadful piece of copy i couldn't tell you what it was but it was very shonky yeah. and i said god this is awful to the producer who i'd known for years this is a, one of the worst things i've ever read and he went yeah. the writer's in the studio with me and I never worked for those people again as long as that writer was there. Mm. When they went, I'm not going to say their gender, when they went, I was back in. And so I used to be more helpful. <laughs> I'm a lot less helpful now uh, because people don't like it. And also, but with the with the contracting thing, I think it's to do with the rhythm and the syntax of that sentence. So if mm. it's start, if the first sentence has got have in it and it's and it's a regular read, but then it needs to be more conversational, 
where appropriate, I will contract because people do speak in contractions. We don't have to put it all in, you know, speech commas or anything. We mm. can do that. And I think it's it's down to you. And sometimes you, you, you know, you'll say to the client, I've done you that with that because I felt it was more natural. But would you like me to do one with it is, there are, we have. And they'll either go, oh, no, we liked it. Or, yeah, can we just have one anyway? Which is actually often what they say because they want their money's worth. So I think it's things like that. But I don't give hardly any feedback. And if I get foreign clients with badly translated scripts, I occasionally, if it's obvious what they mean, I will yeah. change it just to be nice. But sometimes it's just like, I'm sorry, could you, I, I cannot actually make, I don't understand what you're trying to say here. And if I can't understand it, I can't make those, the listener listen and believe it. Yeah. I've had some translated scripts and they are all horrible. Oh. And I, uh, I'm a bit of a, st- I mean, I'm a, gra- I'm a grammar Nazi. And, and so if I see something <laughs> like that, I just have to deal with it. Well, we're coming to the end. It's been so much fun. I've so enjoyed meeting you and chatting to you. Uh, I just, I guess the last thing is, you know, here we are in COVID times, hopefully, uh, as we speak, 25th of November, there has been some better news and it looks as though, you know, 2021 might be uh, a year of recovery. How have you been coping? Has it affected this this period of you know, pandemic period? Has it affected from a work point of view? Mm. No, no, not at all. No, uh, in fact, uh, one of the, the worst things I have a compromised immune system. I have a very serious arthritis, and I'm on a lot of medicines for it. So, of course, this is the worst thing for me. And uh, normally, I've had a holiday by now. And when I say holiday, I usually work on holiday and take a portable studio. Yeah. Um, but I was supposed to be on holiday now and I've had to cancel everything or it's being cancelled for me. So I've mm. had no downtime at all in this whole situation. And that's with vo- uh, that's still voicing, voicing and doing some coaching, voicing coaching. And so it's it's in fact it's never it's never it's never ceases, which I'm not bragging about because actually, you know, my husband says you're a workaholic, but you know it's the, the old self-employed thing. Yeah. You're only as good as your last job. Of You've course, got to yeah. keep fighting. And of course, I've got to get the money when I can because you don't know what's around the corner. And particularly at the moment. Mm. So I'm hoping that this, you know, we get the old remedy to this and I can go and lie on a sunbed and I won't work for a week. That'll be my treat. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, that, that is something to to work towards. Um, I mean, I, I do think, you know, I guess this might change the way lots of people do their business um, that, you know, perhaps voicing will become more of a, a home-based thing than it has been hitherto. For me, I love going out to studios and... So do I. The whole atmosphere, the whole business of it. Oh, I love uh, it. I, if I get an, you know, yeah. an opportunity, even before COVID, obviously, anyone said, uh, would you like to come to our studio? And we'll pay, yes, yes, I'm meeting other people. You know, it's when you have, big, you know, you, you start having massively long conversations with a woman in the bread shop because you haven't yeah. talked to anybody properly for a day, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Well, here on your popping and uh, i you know what I, I feel like we've only covered about a third of the chair of the, of the ground and we could do this again absolutely but uh, until then and uh, to all our listeners thanks for joining us and uh, come back next time for your popping bye-bye you can find your popping on all the major podcast platforms so why not subscribe and give us five stars We also have our own Your Popping Facebook page and our Twitter handle is at Voice Maestros, where you can also find links to our Making an Impression podcast featuring some of the best impressionists on the planet. 